0: Amen. Thank you, Joel. Good morning. Uh, Just another brief word about Wednesday night. Um, When you come Wednesday night, let's be careful not to just have TCFers gather at this table and this table. Uh, Let's make a point to make sure that everybody from outside TCF who's here has at least one TCFer to sit and engage with them. Okay. I think we did a good job with that when we had the cookout a month or so ago, but just uh, just a reminder, and hope hope most of you will be able to make it. So good morning and Merry Christmas season to all of you. It's the first Sunday of Advent. Those are the four Sundays before Christmas, of course, when we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of our Savior Jesus. And in marking the greatest gift as described by the Apostle Paul, that indescribable gift of salvation through Christ. What do we do? We buy gifts for each other, don't we? We don't always think of the reason we buy gifts at Christmas. It's just tradition, right? It's actually Jesus' birthday, but he's hard to shop for, so we shop for each other. No doubt many of you are still looking for that perfect Christmas gift for family or friends. So before we get started here this morning, I want to offer a few ideas for you. If your ideas are running dry and you don't have a clue what you're going to get. Of course, for your kids, there's always clothing. Just make certain to pay close attention to the tag on the inside of the clothes. This one says, wash inside out, remove child before washing. (laughs) Helpful safety tip. Although I'm waiting for someone to develop a clothing you can leave your kids in when you wash it. Think of all the time and energy you'd save at bedtime. It's a very green thing, isn't it? Yeah. Here's another gift idea. Maybe you are one of those people who's still in the stone ages and actually have CDs that you listen to. I do. Yeah, we got a lot of you. So you might like this one rather than MP3 music files on your smartphone or a streaming service like Pandora or Spotify. Now this handy CD case will hold 24 of your favorite CDs, which could include music or some of the more popular Bill Sullivan sermons. (laughs) And the cool thing about this is that it automatically becomes portable when carried. I know you can't read that, that's the bottom line of this, but that's what it says. It says so in the bottom of the package. It automatically becomes portable when carried. And of course, they couldn't put that there if it wasn't true. Of course, my grandson becomes portable when carried too, but I don't want to carry him around all the time. Then here's a good one for the ladies in your life. There's this handy manicure set. Even works on the toughest of fingernails. Now, cleaning supplies are always a thoughtful gift, like this stupid child efficiency mop. What in the world? I have no idea what the marketers of this product are actually trying to communicate. Of course, gifts are a wonderful element of the season and rightly understood. It's appropriate for us as believers in Christ to give gifts in honor of the one who gave the greatest gift, in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word, and more so, He is the Word who became flesh, became a human, and lived among us. But a passage that's often overlooked at Christmas time, yet has everything to do with the incarnation, is John chapter 1. We're going to dwell there this morning. At Christmas time, I often think of a Michael Card song called The Final Word. Anybody know that song, Michael Card, The Final Word? A few of you do. This isn't a new song, but for years the phrase near the end of this song, eternity stepped into time, has captured my imagination, especially at Christmas time. This isn't a a typical Christmas song, uh, this Michael Card song, but I can't help but think of the incarnation, which of course is what Christmas is all about. The day that Jesus became flesh, was born into a human body like yours and mine. That phrase, eternity stepped into time, says something we often don't think about during the Christmas season. Christmas, of course, and Holy Week are times when we should think deeply about our faith, not just about the events of that very first Christmas, the angels, the manger, the day Jesus was born, but all it meant for us in time and all it means for us in eternity. Here we have the eternal Son, Jesus, who was with God in the beginning. You might say, the beginning of what? The beginning of time. Think about this. Even time didn't always exist. God lives in eternity. Time had a beginning. God didn't. He created time so that everything wouldn't happen all at once. That's for us. That would be really confusing, wouldn't it? That may sound funny to think of it that way, But the most common understanding among theologians is that God views everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen as one eternal now. For God, it's all there at the same time. When Jesus said, I am, he was claiming the name of God, who also identified himself as I am. Applied to God, this is speaking of his eternal existence apart from time, he is the uncaused cause, self-existent, the uncreated creator, the source of all things. We read in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9, "For I am God, and there is no other; I am God, and there is none like me." God did not have a beginning. He has always been. Now, logically and philosophically, the final or I'm sorry, the first cause must be eternal since it is not itself caused. It cannot have a beginning. So God, according to the Bible, fits this description as the only thing in existence that was not quote-unquote made. Let's think about these things today through the lens of John chapter 1. We won't read the whole chapter, but I want to highlight some things in the first few verses, along with some other verses in this chapter and some other places in the Word this morning. So we're going to start with John chapter 1, Verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John chapter 1 verse 3 makes a specific distinction between things that are made and things that are not made. God is the only quote-unquote thing that was not made. He is eternal, always existing. We read in Psalm 90 verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, shares that self-existence, the eternal nature of God with the Father. Jesus claimed for himself the name I am, and we saw that, we see that in uh, John 8:58 which we'll read in a minute, and also in John 18:6. And speaking of Jesus, Paul declares in Colossians, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Boy, we could preach from that passage just all by itself. So scripture is clear that Jesus is not a created being. He came to earth as God in the flesh, and after his resurrection ascended back into heaven to take his rightful place as creator of the universe. In the Old Testament, God declared to the Israelites that he is the first and the last. We see that in Isaiah 44, 6. Jesus made the same declaration about himself in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is so much a part of the essence of God that this is his name. Think about that. I am that I am. We see throughout scripture that God interacts with humanity in time and he did so even before Jesus came. But John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is perhaps the clearest statement of Jesus' deity in all of scripture. So the phrase eternity stepped into time is a phrase that is rich in meaning and the truth of the lyric of that song, the implication of this truth is critical to our understanding of the gospel. The Word was God. It's one of those great foundational truths, foundational doctrines of our faith. It's important to ponder because of the profound and startling implications of this truth. Jesus always was. Though we celebrate his birth at Christmas time, what we're really celebrating is his birth into human form. And that's the part of the doctrine that we call the Incarnation. And we have to reflect on that this morning too in relation to Jesus' pre-existence. The Bible teaches us that though Jesus had a human beginning, the person of Jesus Christ does not, like we human beings, have a beginning. There was never a time that Jesus didn't exist. He pre-existed his Incarnation. He was before he was born into human form even before he was conceived, miraculously inside the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now think about what it was like before you were born. Did you ever have one of those fact sheets about the year you were born, about the, uh, your, when your, maybe somebody gave it to you for your birthday, what the world was like? Well, for me, it was 1956. Dwight Eisenhower was president. Elvis was alive and popular. He's still popular, but contrary to some reports, he's no longer alive. Now it's interesting for us to consider and think about what the world was like before we were born or maybe the year that we were born. But that's because we didn't exist before we were conceived and we can only read it as history. But Jesus doesn't need to think about such things. He not only existed before he was conceived by the agency of the Holy Spirit as a human being inside of the womb of the Virgin Mary. But he existed before Mary. His earthly mother even existed herself. In fact, <laughs> he was her creator. Mind boggling, isn't it? I mean, start churning some of these things around in your brain and go, <laughs> wow. You know? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We celebrate Jesus' birth into the world at Christmas time, but it's only his human birth we celebrate in one sense he doesn't even have a birthday like we do and yet he does have a human birthday just like us however in his essence as god the son he never had a beginning even a traditional scripture that we sometimes hear at christmas time speaks of this great truth from micah chapter 5 verse 2 but you bethlehem though you are small among the clans of judah out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now usually when we hear this scripture, we marvel at the prophecy of Micah, who predicted when Jesus would be born, where Jesus would be born, hundreds of years before his birth. What's more, he predicted the genealogy of Jesus' birth. The promised king of kings, the ruler over Israel, would be from David's line. But let's notice what else Micah says about this coming king this ruler that's anticipated by Israel. Micah says that his origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now the Hebrew here literally means days of immeasurable time. And that's what we think about when we think of eternity, right? You can't measure time in eternity. And that's true eternity past as well as eternity future. Again, mind-boggling when you begin to think about these things. That's one reason I find time travel movies real fascinating. It just kind of spins your brain around, and wow, what happens with this? So this is a clear indication that Jesus always was, and he existed before he was born. Let's consider a few of the many passages of Scripture that confirm this great truth of our faith. And we're also going to try to see why this is important for our faith. We need to develop an appreciation for these foundational doctrines of our faith in Christ. Because without them, none of the seemingly more interesting, more applicable things that we might think of in our Christian lives can stand at all without the foundational truths. None of them will last without these foundations for us to stand on. So remember that as we move forward this morning and rehearse some of this stuff. What we're looking at is an essential part of the whole building, the whole building of our faith life that God wants to build in us. In the Gospel of John, have you noticed there's no account of the birth of Jesus? It's the only one of the four Gospels. It's the Gospel of John who, because he preferred to overlook this part of the Gospel story, and go back to, as we've noted, this foundational truth that makes the birth of Jesus even more amazing than it seems on the surface. A baby born to a virgin is pretty amazing. Okay, We see that in the other Gospels. But who this baby is and was, his preexistence as the maker of his own mother is more amazing still. Again, reading from John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. As far back as anyone can think, to the beginning of time as we know it, the Word, Jesus, was already there. How do we know the Word referred to in John 1 is Jesus? All we have to do is jump down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, which says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's very clear that John is referring throughout John chapter 1 to none other than Jesus Christ. The same ruler Micah prophesied would be born in Bethlehem. The same one who is from of old, from ancient times. And John just confirms this. As far back as the beginning of time and before that, the word already existed. John tells us that Jesus, the living word, has always been in a relationship with God the Father. He's not created like we are. Jesus did not at some point just come into existence. He did not at some point in time begin a relationship with God the Father. In eternity past, before the beginning of time, as we know it, God the Father, God the Son, as well as God the Holy Spirit have always had a triune relationship. Verse 2 says, He, the Word, was with God in the beginning. Now that's our understanding of beginning, not His, because God... Did not have a beginning. Remember a moment ago how we looked and noted that doctrine is such an important foundation for what we might see as the more practical and useful aspects of our faith. Jesus taught us to love one another, didn't he? Immensely practical, loving one another. That's something you can really apply to your life, right? Jesus said he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. That's also immensely practical. It brings comfort, it brings strength, it brings courage to know that, doesn't it? Jesus said, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. There are many practical applications to this. If we live in him, he will use us. Jesus also taught us about having faith in him. Faith is very practical. We can apply it to so many different situations in our lives. But here's what we need to see this morning as we look at this idea of the pre-existent Jesus who was there not just at the beginning of time but before the beginning of time as we know it the things he taught us and we just mentioned a few of those things that he taught us and what he did, the miracles he performed, his suffering and his death for our sin, these things are absolutely inseparable from who he is. That's why this what we're studying this morning is pretty important. The practical applications of our faith in Christ mean nothing without a clear understanding of just who it is that we have faith in. John shows us here that Jesus is not only the Word made flesh, we saw that in John 1.14, making him fully human, but that he's also fully and completely God in the flesh. Life Application Bible comments this way, although Jesus took upon himself full humanity and lived as a man, he never ceased to be the eternal God who has always existed the creator and sustainer of all things, and the source of eternal life. This is the truth about Jesus and the foundation of all truth. If we cannot or do not believe this basic truth, we will not have enough faith to trust our eternal destiny to him. This is why John wrote this gospel, to build faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that we may believe that he truly was and is the Son of God. So when we look at verse 2 of John chapter 1, he was with God in the beginning, we see that Jesus did not become a person for the first time on that Christmas night when he was born into human flesh in Bethlehem. He became human, but it wasn't the beginning of his personhood. Also, he did not somehow become a God, little g, after his resurrection, as some teach today. He, Jesus, the Word, is God the Son, from all eternity, eternity past, from of old, as Micah said. Let's take a look at some other passages from the book of John that help us with this. In John 8:58, 8, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now the Jewish reader would understand this as a very clear assertion that Jesus was declaring himself to be God. I remember having a conversation once with a person who grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. Now, they don't believe that Jesus was divine. In fact, they believe that Jesus was Michael the Archangel before and after his time on earth and have changed the wording of John 1.1, which we've just read, to say that the word was a God. They added the article, a God, not the word was God, but the word was a God with a little g. They've changed the translation. So this person told me that Jesus never said he was God. In fact, I remember reading an article once at the, this person talking about what Jehovah's Witnesses believed and how disturbing it was to be in a Jehovah's Witness service where they had a hymn called Jesus' Sweet Michael. Yeah. This person told me that Jesus never said he was God. So while it's true that Jesus never used those precise words, the passages of Scripture this morning not only direct us to look at the truth that Jesus always existed, but they also inevitably point to the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. When Moses asked God his name, he responded the way Jesus did, in the same way. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's the ultimate declaration of self-existence of godness, if you will. Now Jesus repeated this. His declaration of himself as the great I Am is one of the most incredible, powerful, important statements in any of the Gospels. Not only was Jesus saying that he existed before Abraham was born, but he was clearly, undeniably claiming his divinity. He applied God's holy name the name he used in speaking to Moses, to himself. If there's any doubt in your minds how the Jewish leaders uh, Jesus was speaking to understood this, all you have to do is look at the next verse in John 8. Jesus said in, in, in verse 58, I am, and in verse 59, at this, in other words, at the statement that Jesus made just a moment ago saying I am, they picked up stones to stone him. They knew what he was saying. What Jesus was saying that day was, I am, meaning I have always been, I have always existed to the Jews. This was clearly and undeniably blasphemy, worthy of stoning to death, because only God has always existed. They believed that, and they understood that from their own scriptures. But they didn't believe at that point that Jesus was God. Next, let's look at John chapter 12, verse 41. We'll get to that and read that in a second. But here in this uh, verse we see John referencing the prophet Isaiah. In the context of our look at scripture this morning regarding the pre-existent Christ, I want you to notice something. And we'll see this when we read this verse in a second. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. Now you may remember when Isaiah saw God's glory in chapter 6. It's what John is referring to here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then jumping down to verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So when we read the Gospel of John, we see that the king whom Isaiah saw, the Lord Almighty that he saw, was Jesus, the pre-incarnate living word of God. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus centuries before Jesus was born. So let's read John 12, 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. It doesn't say he foresaw or he had a future vision of Jesus, it said he saw Jesus unequivocally. Now we must remember that God is one God in three persons. That's another related doctrine called the Trinity. Now we're kind of going to not adequately address that this morning, but we're clearly dancing around the edges of that very important doctrine too. But the glory Isaiah saw that caused him to fall down and say, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips, it clearly included the glory of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This passage from John makes it clear. Isaiah saw Jesus before Jesus was born. So that means he had to have already existed, right? The next passage of Scripture I'd like to spend a few minutes looking at is John 17:5, And Jesus is praying here. And he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now this is a part of what's often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. His prayer to his Heavenly Father in advance of his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. So here's Jesus anticipating these events, expecting his return to glory he had with his Heavenly Father before the Incarnation, before his life on earth as a man. It tells us something of what Jesus set aside for a time. To come and live among us, to become God, in the flesh. It tells us he was in the presence of God the Father. It tells us he was glorified. It tells us this was his state before the world began, before there was time. Did he begin in Bethlehem? This verse makes it absolutely clear. Before the world began, in eternity past, Jesus existed. He was in a glory we cannot even imagine. And he gave it up for 33 years to live among us as we live in human flesh to know hunger and thirst and pain and suffering and death for the forgiveness of our sins. And then rise again to return to his glory. So Jesus in his prayer here is saying, God, restore to us, you and me, God, God the Father, the glorified relationship we had before I came to earth, before I stepped out of eternity and into time. There's a commentator named William MacDonald who wrote of this passage, Before Christ came into the world, he dwelt in heaven with the Father. When the angels looked upon the Lord, they saw all the glory of deity. To every eye he was obviously God, but when he came among men, the glory of deity was veiled. Though he was still God, it was not apparent to most onlookers. They saw him merely as the carpenter's son. Here the Savior is praying that the visible manifestation of his glory in heaven might be restored. The words glorify me together with yourself mean glorify me in your presence in heaven. Let the original glory which I shared with you before my incarnation be resumed. This clearly teaches the pre-existence of Christ. Before we prepare to sum this up, I want to look at one more verse from John. Hopefully it will help us tie a lot of this together. It's in the same chapter chapter 17, as the verse we just reviewed. And again, we see Jesus, he's still praying here. He's still praying this high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 24. And this is what he prays. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now this is an important passage in relation to the pre-existence of Christ, because it reveals his heart for you and for me. He's praying for us here. He's praying for us. Jesus could have stopped at verse 5, which we read a few minutes ago. He could have said, Okay, Father, I'm ready to be restored to my rightful place. I'm ready to leave this place where my glory is veiled. I've done my job. I've done what we planned together before the beginning of time. I'm ready to come home. He Mm -hmm. could have left it at that. But he didn't. This verse shows us quite plainly that he doesn't want to spend the rest of eternity without his people. That's us. That's those of us who are in Christ. The lost people that he came to seek and to save. The people he shed his blood to redeem. He wants to have his people with him here, with him in glory. Now think about this. Every time a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ dies... It's a clear answer to this prayer that Jesus prayed. Isn't that an amazing thing? 2,000 years ago Jesus prayed this prayer and we see the answer. Because every time a believer dies, the moment after breathing their last breath, the believer is immediately with Jesus in his glory just as he prayed here. Because Jesus chose to love us by becoming flesh, by taking on humanity and suffering and dying. ...for our sins and being raised from the dead so we too can be with him. In the same glory that he had before the foundation of the world. Back before time began when it was just Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Why is all of this important? I believe the understanding that Jesus is eternal and that he stepped into time to save us from our sins... ...to take our well-deserved punishment for sin upon himself... ...but also so we can understand God's love for us... These things also show why he is worthy of our worship and obedience. They illustrate why he should be the center of our lives, why he is worthy of our wholehearted devotion, why he is worthy of our trust, trusting the eternal Son with our eternal destiny. Titus 1.2 says we have a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God promised when? Before the beginning of time. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says his saving grace was given us in Christ Jesus again when? Before the beginning of time. After creation God inserted himself through Jesus into time. Eternity stepped into time and helped those of us in time to understand him better. Gave us the opportunity to know him before time began, the Father loved the Son. There was a plan, there was communication, there was unbroken, pure fellowship, and promises were made about our redemption before we even needed redeeming. These are marvelous truths for us to ponder any time of year, not just this time of year and Christmas, but maybe especially this time of year when we remember the human birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning with a poem that celebrates these things. It's called Praise God for Christmas. Praise him for the incarnation, for the word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights or angel choristers. I will not sing of a stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing star with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Tonight I will sing praise to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold, and said farewell to his son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I will sing praise to the infinite, eternal son who became most finite, a baby who would one day be executed for my crime. Praise him in the heavens. Praise him in the stable. Praise him in my heart. Amen.